0: right all right we are live so you have probably heard at least a little bit about chat gpt an ai language model developed by OpenAI. but i can assure you you have not heard enough about this the technology is going to drastically alter the landscape of many industries we're going to discuss the potential of this new technology and talk about the implications it may have on our society also we have further confirmation that the media has gone off the deep end in the past several years in regards to bias especially against president donald trump we're going to be talking about all of this and more in episode 383 of the in the tank podcast intro makes me want to destroy my hotel room welcome (laughs) to the in the tank podcast as always i'm your host donald kendall joining me today i've got jim likely vp of the heartland institute how are you doing today good sir
1: I'm doing pretty well, considering I tested positive for COVID on Sunday night and have been spending the entire week working from home at the times that I've not had extreme exhaustion. So uh, I'm just just happy to be here. Just happy to be able to do the podcast today, to be honest. That's right. Not even COVID would
0: stop him from being on the podcast. Also joining us, we've got Chris Talgo. He is the editorial director here at the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir?
2: Doing good. just want to wish everybody happy Groundhog's Day. Oh, sweet. That's the and And uh, so, yeah, Pucks of Tony Phil did see his shadow. So, unfortunately, according to that scientific, uh, you know, consensus, uh, we're going to have six more weeks of winter, which I'm not too happy about. Dang it. Dang it. And they let him go again. That's that's insane. Um,
0: well, we should also have Justin Haskins here. He might be joining us a little late, so we'll see if he graces us with his presence. Um, but for those audio-only listeners that are catching the show on a Friday or later, you can join our show a day earlier on Thursdays at noon for the live stream of it that is streaming on Facebook and Twitter and Rumble and YouTube. And you can join the conversation, throw your comments and questions in the chats maybe we'll show your comments on the screen we will address your questions on the fly and also we do have that super chat function that will guarantee that we will read your question as long as it's not like terrible or something like that um so yeah join the conversation we want to we want to hear from you and, and you can be part of the community and all of that also a little bit more housekeeping items jim icc15 it's only three weeks away, good sir. Just enough time for you to recover fully from COVID. How excited are you? What new updates you got for us?
1: Well, I am pretty excited. I, I actually took a COVID test one hour ago to see if I had uh if I had kicked it. Do you guys want to see? You want see oh, what yeah. happens? You see Let's if I see. still have COVID? All right, here we go. You just tell me tell me what it is. Drum roll. Was. Drum roll. Uh uh, you got it.
0: Uh I still have like COVID. <laughs> you got COVID still. I still
1: have COVID, yeah.
0: You, wait, wait, wait. You either got COVID or you're pregnant. I'm not sure what that test was.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> you look at my, uh, my midsection from a certain angle, and it certainly looks like I could be pregnant. I'll just leave that there. But uh, uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, the, the climate conference coming up. Hopefully by then. Actually, I'm glad to have gotten COVID now so that I will be over it and uh, naturally immune to anything that may happen. Uh, any new variants that come out, I suppose. So uh, good to get it out of the way before our very big conference coming up February 23rd and 25th at uh, in, in Orlando, Florida. Uh, I had teased last week, that, and Justin did make fun of me uh, for it, but teased that we had a, a very prominent United States Senator from a state in the Midwest who was going to be a featured speaker at the conference, and uh, he guested Tammy Duckworth and Dick Durbin. And that was not uh, the answer. <laughs> so the answer is actually um, Ron Johnson, Wisconsin Senator, uh, uh, you know, the conservative Wisconsin Senator Tammy Baldwin is the hard lefty Senator up there. So Wisconsin's got pretty good balance. Uh, Ron Johnson has called uh, man cause global warming BS, except he said the whole word out there <laughs> out loud. If you were to Google him, uh, Google him, if you were to Google Ron Johnson, uh, Ron Johnson and Climate change, one of the first things that comes up is a, uh, a CNN story on how he called uh, man-made climate change bullshit. All right, I'll say it, doesn't matter. <laughs> We're all adults here. Uh, and so that's a good guy to have on our, <laughs> on our side. Uh, he's actually, uh, Senator Johnson's actually been a big fan of the work Hartley's done on, on climate uh, for many, many years. He reads a lot of our things. Um, he may have even asked some of our people to testify in hearings in the past. So um, we are interested in hearing what Ron Johnson has planned or what he thinks should happen to oppose Biden's radical uh, environment and energy agenda. Uh, also on the on the program this year, if in fact, if uh, and if you wanted to scroll down, you can see some of the speakers, the featured speakers that we have there uh, on the screen. Uh, Lauren Boebert, of course, uh, the conservative star uh, who's in CPAC and all that stuff. Uh, she uh, won re-election narrowly, but she won in uh, Colorado. But her background is actually in energy Uh Uh, I think she worked in the natural gas industry. In fact, I know she worked in the natural gas industry. Her husband still does. Her family has been in that business for a long time. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to hear what she has to say about now that the Republicans have the majority in the House, how they're going to oppose um, not just Biden's radical energy agenda, but also ESG. ESG is going to be a big topic of conversation at our conference. So we urge you, it's, uh, it's like, I guess, three weeks away. And so there's still uh, plenty of tickets available. You can come down there and meet these people in person. We have some of the top scientists in the world to talk about these issues. Uh, I have gone to almost all of them now. The vast majority of them since I've been with Heartland. I joined Heartland in 2010 full time. And, uh, you know, you learn so much and there is so much to talk about on these issues. This is going to be a very important conference. We still have some other really big names out there. That are uh, prospectively on the program, but as it is, as it stands right now, this is one of our best programs ever. So, please come down to Orlando, Florida. You can go to heartland.org for more information. You can go to climateconference.heartland.org for more information. And if you cannot, for some reason, make it in person, and you really should, um, all of this will be live streamed uh, at the climate conference site uh, on February twenty. Uh, you know, for the entire the duration of the conference, so uh, you won't miss anything. So, that's the update
0: fantastic uh in the comments we got cowboy roy rogers uh responding to your covid positive ah. test saying that uh that you should eat plenty of eggs but now in this day and age jim that that costs a gold mine yeah can you yeah, afford them jim
1: yeah, i yeah. can't afford that i can't afford to eat that many eggs
0: <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't know you might have to find a different solution you no actually you know well i got
1: i got my horse paste i've been taking all of my ho- horse paste which is great good. uh great. i've been taking lots of vitamins lots of zinc uh awesome. liquid zinc liquid uh, vitamin c uh tons of vitamin d gummies you know at this time not our first rodeo for covid and uh, right. our treatment plan is pretty good yeah if you haven't gotten covid like
0: twice by now then you're you, doing so you ain't well. living man You <laughs> ain't living. so uh jim we do want I, I do want to get to our main topic there's plenty yeah. of different uh facets uh, about this main topic that i want to get to but before we do uh, you sent me a pretty interesting link. Uh, it, it was penned by the, this big series of reports was penned by Columbia journalism review. It's a four part series titled the press verse the president. The piece attempts to convey just how malicious and biased the media got uh, in their coverage of Donald Trump in the lead up to the election and throughout his election. So, First off, before we dive into it, because this is a story that's not really getting that much attention, um, the fact that it was authored by Columbia Journalism Review is uh, pretty noteworthy. Who, who, who is that, Jim?
1: The Columbia Journal so, so as a lot of listeners to this podcast know, I'm a recovering journalist. Uh, my last story was, I think, 15 years ago in 28 days. So uh, I'm still trying to keep that streak alive and not be a journalist anymore because it is a very uh, disreputable profession these days. But the Columbia Journalism Review is basically the, the Bible um, of the journalism profession. It's the, I guess, not really the Bible, but the, um, you know, the house organ for the industry as a whole. Columbia, The Columbia School of Journalism at the University of Missouri, uh, Columbia, is the number one journalism school in the country. I never went to J school. I don't think you need to go to J school to be a good journalist. And I think I was a good journalist. Um, but Columbia, it, it's the the top of the top. This is the outfit that examines and promotes well, historically, it promoted good journalism. The story was written by uh, Jeff. Is it uh, Gertz? I have to look. At, I have to look at the name because there it is, Gertz. That's right, Jeff Gertz. He's a, he's a Pulitzer Prize-winning former reporter for the New York Times. So to have somebody of this prestige, if you care about prestige in the media, to be uprating the uh, the legacy media, but especially the New York Times, for lying to the country for years about the Russia collusion story. Um, This is probably a 30,000 word uh, examination of how our media lied to us. And they lied to us because of a partisan reason. I don't know if he quite makes that connection, but it's obvious that that's what's going on here. Uh, With the Russian collusion story, it was always a fake news story. It was cooked up by Hillary Clinton during her campaign and after her campaign. Um, One of my favorite little wrinkles about this entire thing that Hillary invited two authors to to embed in her campaign with the intention of writing the story, the inside story of how the first woman was elected president. And instead they witnessed a campaign disaster and wrote that instead. And they wrote about how the next, you know, famously Hillary did not come out to concede because, well, rumor has it, she was plastered that she had drank so much wine. She just was, she was inconsolable. Let's just say that she was inconsolable, could not come out. So Podesta had to come out and concede on her behalf by saying the fight continues and all that other garbage. And of course, I, that's the kind of stuff you say when you lose, right? The fight continues. Little did we know that actually the fight was gonna continue, hmm. that they were gonna undermine uh, Donald Trump and the media was gonna go along with it all the way. But the next morning, her campaign team got together and they said, we, we need to push this Russian collusion stuff with Trump, with the media, um, and that he stole the election, that Russia worked, with, worked directly with the Trump campaign to steal our, our election. And that's when all of this began. I mean, I've said this a million times on this podcast, Trump winning in 2016 broke a lot of people and it completely broke our media and it broke the Democratic Party where, where, where the just existence of Donald Trump is somehow, quote, a threat to democracy. Um, and then this examination of it, you know, it, it basically broke, breaks it down and says the New York Times knew that this was untrue. They went with it anyway and they kept... They kept fostering this falsehood. The irony that like somehow that Donald Trump is a threat to democracy. Do you know what's what's a real threat to democracy? A media, a legacy media that is lying to you, lying to you about what happened in 2016 for years and years and years. The Mueller report comes out and it exonerates, it exposes how this entire thing was complete BS. And the media still won't tell you the truth about it. They were still hoping there was something in there or said it wasn't comprehensive. Rachel Maddow goes on MSNBC and says explicitly that Donald Trump is an asset an asset to a foreign hostile power, that being Russia. And it says that all of this evidence proves it. Adam Schiff goes out there and he knows better, but he's lying, he's on the Intelligence Committee. He goes out there and lies that yes, we have smoking gun evidence of collusion between the Russian government and this president to steal the election. None of that is true. And our entire media went along with it. Why? Because they are not in the business where they used to be. When, when, the, when the, Columbia, uh, journalis- uh, re- the Columbia Journalism Review used to be covering and uh, promoting a reputable profession, journalism, this would never have happened. But our, our journalists now are, are there for one purpose. And it, is actually, it actually is to lie to you, to present to the public narratives that advance the, the interests of the Democratic Party, and the permanent cla- governing class in Washington, DC. is to the point now, and I guess this this guy wrote this, uh, Jeff wrote this thing uh, for big four part series, uh, almost out of, I think, sadness and, and, <laughs> and tears coming out of his eyes for it. Because, right, because he starts off by saying how like nobody respects, of, of 46 countries, they poll what people think of their media in their country. The worst score is in the United States. The Americans do not trust their legacy media. In fact, um, he notes out that 46% of the American public and 84% of Democrats believe that Russians influence our election to the level of changing votes to make sure Donald Trump became president, to do the bidding of Putin. 84% of Democrats believe this. Half the country believes that nonsense. It's a lie. And they believe it because the media has relentlessly lied to them and there is, the, the prop, what this is intended to do is to try to start some, some level of accountability for lying to us all this time. And the reason it matters is because, um, look, th- this laid the groundwork for blaming Russia for everything. If you criticized the, the Biden administration, you were a puppet of Putin. You were doing the bidding of the, of the Russians. You were a foreign agent. It has poisoned our entire country and our, and our, uh, and our discourse and our media and our politics, all on a lie. And we were never, and now you're like, heck, we're, we're on the verge maybe of World War III. Not in small part because of the media and the Democrats making, making Russia this evil, evil entity that was trying to destroy our democracy by installing Donald Trump. These things have consequences and there has been no accountability for it. So the Columbia Journalism Review is trying to start that process I think it's going nowhere. I, I thought this yeah. story little, would, be little late. Would, be, would be bigger than this. And it seems like it's really getting almost no coverage. And in fact, this reporter, this journalist, Jeff Gerth, who, who has won Pulitzer Prizes for the New York Times, he contacted more than 60 journalists to get comments from them saying, look, it's obvious this was all a lie. Do you have anything to say about that? Most of them didn't even respond to him. Hmm. So this is getting nowhere, but this is an important story because it is now, it has colored everything that has happened um, in our politics and, and in our public, uh, in our public life, really, ever since. Yeah, you know, the, the, there's a lot of
0: content in this. I, I comb through all four of these parts. And in the editor's note, they described the series as, quote, an encyclopedic look at one of the most consequential moments in American media history. They say that they examined, quote, the American media's coverage of Trump and Russia in granular detail, mm-hmm. and that the results, very flattering <laughs> well, that was that was their term so chris i mean i know that the majority of the stuff in there is stuff that we know it's stuff that we've probably even covered on this podcast but to kind of see it all laid out nice and cleanly uh i mean does this do you think that this is going to be something that kind of alters the media's uh, um kind of take on all of this going forward or can we just count on cnn being cnn from this point on what do you think
2: well, I mean, I have not seen one second of coverage of this on MSNBC or CNN, and they are still perpetuating the real big lie, which is that Russia somehow infiltrated our election system and uh, put a puppet into the presidency by the name of Donald Trump. When we all know that's just not true. That never happened. So I think, Donny, this is too little, too late. You know, it's, I guess it's good, you know, to for the historical record, but I don't think this is going to really Get out in the mainstream media, and I don't think it's going to change many people's minds who have bought the lie that Russia somehow uh, put, you know, Donald Trump into the presidency in 2016. Hmm. We know that that was completely false. We know that the FBI and uh, Robert Mueller and uh, James Comey and, you know, there's a long list of people, uh, Christopher Steele, who perpetuated this giant lie. They got away with it because the mainstream media covered it up. And now here we are, you know, six, six years later, six, seven, eight years later. And uh, now they're, they're, they're starting to, you know, finally uh, spill the beans. But I think it's going to go there. You know, it's not going to go far. So I have, I have a family
0: member that is, suffers very, very strongly from Trump derangement syndrome to a point where we've had arguments. I'm not going to tell you that. not going (laughs) to tell you that, but uh But like, I just want to just use this as just like end of conversation. Just like you have been parroting all of this Russia collusion stuff for like years now. Like here's Columbia Journalism Review. Read this. And then get back to me if you still. Yeah, but Donnie, the problem episode. is that
2: these people aren't going to read that, and just like the Twitter files have uncovered the blatant cooperation between. I guess, but this big... isn't
0: this isn't like an expose written by Tucker Carlson or something like. Oh,
2: that's just Fox News garbage. I'm not going to listen to that. Like this is
0: journal, you know. Like I, this is your side. Like I mean, to it. yeah,
2: but I've got a lot of you know friends and you know family members who you know have bought this lie, and I don't think they're ever going to change their mind. And I think you could come up with you know smoking gun documents. Uh, you know, the Hunter Biden, you know, laptop, you know, uh, which he shows. just admitted was his, by the way. Right. But they, <laughs> so, but 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 the problem is that they're still not going to change their minds, I guess. I guess.
0: But like, what else could I say that isn't said in this? Uh, Justin, I want to move on to our main topic of discussion here. But if you have any any uh, takes on this story or if you think that it kind of moves the needle in any way, let's hear it.
3: Um well it obviously doesn't move the needle. I didn't even know that this was a story until you sent it to me. So obviously it's not having any impact at all. Mm-hmm. Um I think I think that the reason why I, I I'm I guess I blame conservatives for a lot of this too. And and the reason and so when I see these kinds of stories I I always I feel conflicted because in a way it's like yeah the, you know it's obvious that there's bias. Yes. Bias is a massive problem, but from my perspective, until conservatives start pointing the finger at conservatives as well on this issue, I don't know that I can get too psyched up about it anymore. We, we already know that there's tons of bias. We all, we knew that the Russian collusion thing pretty early on was there was no truth to it whatsoever. Um, and so I think we need to start looking at conservatives and what they have done historically on this to figure out how to come to a solution on that. And what I and what I mean by that is conservatives allowed Americans the American a variety of American institutions, not just media, but a whole bunch of other things. Hollywood, academia, K through 12 schools, basically every now corporations, that's what the great reset is all about. They allowed these All of these institutions to be taken over by the left. They did nothing for decades and decades and decades. They did nothing. And our wealthy, the wealthy conservatives, the people who are investing lots of money in a variety of different causes on the right, they're not buying up media outlets. They might start their own media outlets, but they're not buying up existing media outlets. We're not taking over institutions. There's no effort on the right at all to take over institutions. Very little. Most of our efforts are either making our own new institutions that have uh, no uh, existing strong reputation and influence in society, like the New York Times or the Washington Post or whatever, or it's to win elections, but we don't do anything to take over existing institutions. What about Twitter,
2: though?
3: You know what, Yeah, Twitter is (laughs) the... Yeah, I mean, Elon Musk isn't even a conservative, and that's what it took It's an, that was, that is exactly what we need. That's exactly my point. Justin, you you have a knack
0: for, for taking a, a, a thing where you can have your comments and launching into a giant conversation that could last for like an hour and a half. And we don't have time for that. I
3: I, I, I understand. We have other
0: topics to cover.
3: (laughs) All I'm saying is there's no point in talking about media bias. If we're not willing to do any, if people on our side, and I'm not blaming any of you, it's not like you guys have. 100 billion dollars in the bank you can go buy some giant media outlet but until our side yeah right until our side starts doing that kind of thing we can talk about this every it doesn't matter it will be totally meaningless and pointless and so we we have to i think focus on that and not so much pointing out that the bias exists we know the bias exists what are we going to do about it? And sure. what are we, how are we going to pressure our side to do something about
1: that bias? Well, I mean, Justin, I mean, what's, what are, What are we supposed to do? I mean, does anybody, can anyone buy uh, the Washington post out from under uh, Jeff Bezos? Can anyone buy the New York times? And even if they did, what, what would that even matter? I mean, the things that we can do, the things that we do have the power to do is to, again, try to talk to our relatives and there are people in the chat and, and we, all of us have relatives who believe they're, the the, the mainstream, the legacy media, they believe all of these lies that, you know, the Washington Post's uh, slogan is democracy dies in darkness. It's so it's so ridiculous, but in a way they're right. Um, they have kept their readers in the dark about the truth about this for a long time. You and know. that's where democracy will die. You wanna I know think... how you get a riot at the Capitol? It doesn't just happen in a vacuum. It happens yeah. because Trump supporters saw what our, our, what our legacy media had done to him mm-hmm. and in, in extension to them, gaslighting them for so years and they couldn't take it anymore th- This and is so a... th- it, it matters when you have a me- when you have a media this dominant and this corrupt it has real world consequences that I are agree. not good yeah this, totally not agree. Good. this is totally not, this agree is, so you this gotta is... you gotta inform your, your your relatives like look this is you know I know they don't donnie care said you're gonna try to do ask that. chris
3: ask chris i i tell look i've got a million stories donnie just talked about Somebody in his life who he talks to who doesn't listen to him. Chris has got a million relatives. They don't listen to him. My relatives sure as heck don't listen to me. No one's listening. So, like, that's the thing. They don't listen, Jim. They don't listen. We, yeah, you, we need to actually infiltrate these institutions. That's what we have to do. Yeah. That's what the left did 50 years ago, and that's what we have to do now. And there's no attempt to even try to talk about that,
0: is my point. All right, all right. I am going to try to rein all this in. I'm going to put a nice little he, capper on this story. You didn't want to talk about this, Donnie. This, I get it. I know. This is the macro. This is a macro example of, like, the, the classic we run like a fake news thing on page one one day and then we run a retraction on page 26 you know a week later this exactly. is like an extreme version of that we ran with this fake story for years and then years later you know we put out this little thing that no one pays attention to that shows that this was all make-believe and anyways let's get back to talking about how Ron DeSantis is the next hitler yes that's we're gonna <laughs> retread all of this just with a different person in the name spot but anyways we're already like halfway through this episode we haven't gotten to the main topic so let's get to it uh chat gpt is going to be the main topic of discussion here it is an ai language model developed by open ai it uses deep learning techniques to generate human-like text-based uh, uh responses based on an input that it receives chat gpt is capable of performing a Wide variety of language tasks, such as answering questions, generating creative writing, translating text, summarizing information. It has been trained on a large corpus of text data that can produce very convincing output uh, that can be mistaken for text written by a human. That was a description of Chat GPT written by Chat GPT. So, breaking it down to its most basic elements, Chat GPT is an artificial intelligence program it's built into a basic chat interface so the ai has the ability to draw from essentially all the information on the internet to respond to your queries that you type into it open ai the programmers uh creator released chat b uh, chat gpt in beta form for people to play with and when you make an account it presents you with just like a little area see andy's got it pulled up here on the screen right there there's a little tech uh, text box at the bottom where you can write in a little prompt, you hit enter, and it responds to your prompt. It's a it's a very basic concept, but as I want to go through, uh, the potential implications of this are just unbelievable. So you can ask it a question, hit enter, boom, it'll answer your question. You could ask it to rephrase text to be more impactful, hit enter, boom, it's done. You could ask it to give you advice on how to ask for a raise, you hit Hit enter, boom, done. Also, Jim, that reminds me. We have to talk later. Uh, You could ask it to write code for a website you were designing. Hit enter, boom, 50 lines of code generates for you. You could ask ask it to write a best man speech, and boom, it generates it for you. You could ask it to make that speech that it just made for you funnier. And or incorporate a story about, uh, you know, how you stabbed your brother with a fork one time. Boom. Funny anecdote included in your best man speech. So I'm just listing off a bunch of random examples. And this doesn't do it justice, just how like uh, important to this technology is. So I want to go down and, and break down some of these examples and, and just kind of explain how uh, how this is going to reshape the landscapes of industries across the world. So historically, when people talk about technology and, and you know, te- technological advances, taking people's jobs or disrupting different job forces, you know, they usually mean like factory line workers that are being replaced by a robotic arm or fast food cashier being re- replaced by a kiosk. But chat GPT uh, and tech like this is going to wreak havoc on jobs that are one- that were once thought safe from advances in technology. So let's go through some of these. Uh, writing content. So this is kind of the most basic one. This is the one that if you look this up on, on, you know, chat GPT, you look up articles about it, you're going to see a lot of stuff about this. So it's very good at writing content. You could have it write articles, essays, top 10 lists, poetry, summaries of movies or books, basically anything. And it will do it and it'll do it very well. So one of the things that, again, you'll see stories about is people using, This technology to cheat on schoolwork. You know, why read, uh, you know, The Hatchet by Gary Paulson and and, and write an essay about it when you could just ask Chat GPT to do it and it'll do it in seconds. My wife is uh, going to be teaching a a, a class, a psychology class, uh, totally remote pretty soon. And she was worried about this. You know, how do I know if my students are using this to cheat? So we literally typed in. Uh, an assignment that she would have for her students, you know, write a discussion post talking about weapons bias using three sources cited in APA format hits enter within 15 seconds. It generates six paragraphs explaining weapons bias with three different sources, all cited properly with the last name comma the year in the parentheses after the statement and all of that. It's unbelievable what this can do. And I saw an article that was on Yahoo. The headline was 90% of online content could be quote generated by AI by 2025 experts says. So, and on top of that, Justin was telling me about how Buzzfeed is going to start using this technology to generate content for their website. I know historically Yahoo used an algorithm to generate uh, sports, uh, columns back in the day. So like this is already starting and I could see it growing massively. So, Justin, as the, the biggest writer of the little four uh, uh, quartets that we've got going on here, uh, what are your thoughts on this facet of this technology?
3: Um, I think that we'll all be out of jobs within a decade. That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, don't see, I don't see why we would exist uh, or we're going to have to dramatically change our jobs. I think at least that's a possibility. I mean, look, here, here's the thing. Uh, the technology is still in its infant stages, roughly, you know, relatively speaking. Obviously, they've been working on various forms of this for a while, but th- what we know as ChatGPT is still very new. And it is so good and so impressive that I think it is highly likely that many, many kinds of jobs will be eliminated by this in the relatively near future, like within a decade. Uh, certainly within two decades, but I think within a decade even. And uh, there, there are tons of jobs. And, and, and as Donnie alluded to, it's not going to be just like, well, uh, the clerk at the store or the, uh, you know, you go to a, a, you know, Panera Bread and now there's a kiosk there instead of a person behind a cash register. No, it's going to be contract lawyers. Okay. It's going to be radiologists, It's going to be people who have really high paying jobs because why do I need a contract lawyer if AI can evaluate a contract in a minute and tell me what the problems are with it when it would take hours for a contract lawyer and a lot more money to do that and AI can do it basically for nothing once the service is up or very little. Why would I need a radiologist that's a person who reads Um, various kinds of scans and things like that. When you get uh, like an MRI, for example, or you get an x-ray, they read this. They're doctors. They've been trained to read these things so that they can tell you what's wrong. Why do I need that when AI will be able to do it with near perfection? They already are developing that technology. Okay, so you're going to have all kinds of different jobs. Uh, Editors, a whole bunch of different kinds of jobs where AI will get to the point where it will be able to do it much better and, and for a lot less money than people like you and me. So it is going to create, and I think this is really the key. I'm not one of these people who believes that um, technology will ruin everything necessarily, okay? I think technology usually breeds more innovation and yes, it destroys jobs in a lot of cases when you have big revolutions, but other jobs, other industries, other things develop over time. I think that's true. However, um, it is going to create, for sure, lots of disruption. And by disruption, I mean change. So you're going to have lots of people, millions and millions and millions of people. In some estimates, it's hundreds of millions of people who are going to have to, at the very least, change their jobs. Maybe they won't be out of a job. Maybe they'll be doing something else, but they will have to change jobs because we're talking globally. Because this kind of technology is so good and so powerful, there will be no reason to have a human being writing a news story in 10 years. There's no reason for it. You might have a human being type filling out a form and then AI produces the story, but why would a human being sit down and write from beginning to end a news story? There's not gonna be any reason for that. There'll be services that can do that. You won't have contract lawyers. You won't have radiologists. You won't have all of these jobs. They're gonna have to do something else. So the real question public policy-wise, going forward in the future is what what will those people do and why will they do it and what kind of life will those people live? These are the really important questions of the next uh, century, really, the next 100 years, but certainly the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years, you're going to have massive amounts of disruption and we're going to need to know how to deal with that from a public policy perspective. And you're going to have people on the left who have a solution for that. They already have one. It's basically socialism, communism, or government mandated control in some other fashion, big gigantic welfare programs that will take care of everybody, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what is the free market solution to that? Well, going before, to be- for us.
0: before we contemplate that, I, w- I want to take a step back a little bit and, and still try to just go over some of the things that this is capable of, because I think a lot of people can look at this technology and just kind of write it off and be like, well, Google can pull up some of this stuff that you're talking about, too. You know, Google can help, uh, you know, whatever the little clippy at the bottom of your Microsoft Word page kind of can help me write a resume, too. So is this really much different? And it absolutely is. So I just want to go through a couple more examples and I'll get Chris's take on some of this and I'll go to Jim because jim is the curmudgeon of this he's he was the guy that compared it to clippy at least in my mind uh so i want to get his take last on this but just a couple more examples of what this thing is capable of so i've seen it do like absolutely insane things uh uh, this one's not quite insane but i've seen people type into it give me a couple of uh, uh healthy dinner options that i could have And it'll say, all right, here's a couple of healthy dinner options. Chicken salad, some shrimp and rice meal, and some, you know, whatever, right? And then someone responds to that because it keeps your queries in mind. Someone says, all right, that sounds great. Um, Can you make a grocery list based off of those, those dinner options? Sure. Here's your grocery list. Boom, 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 boom. There's the 20 items that you need to get from your groceries. So it's incredibly creative. It's incredibly reactive to just natural speech. You don't have to uh, do like, you know, like, uh, okay, uh, your whatever smartphone, I don't want to activate your smartphones thing, you know, show me the weather for tonight. You don't have to do that. You could be very, very naturalistic in the way that you talk to this thing. And it knows what you're saying. um I've seen people take code, you know, people that are computer coders, and they'll take a big block of code and just paste it into their thing and say, I've been looking at this for an hour and a half. I can't find the error in this code. Like what's wrong with it. And then within seconds, it'll say you missed a comma there. Like, and it's, it's that quick. I've seen people say just in plain English, write code for the back end of a WordPress website that would allow users of my website to do X, Y, and Z you hit enter. And then within seconds, it will generate a hundred lines of code that you could just copy and paste in the back end of your website, and now your website will have that functionality. You don't have to go through years of college to become a coder or anything like that, all the training to be a coder. You just talk to it in plain English, and it can do it. So it's it's really, really crazy stuff that this uh, allows you to do. Uh, Chris, you and I were playing with us a little bit, talking about it over the course of the last couple of days. Uh, What are your just kind of top-line reactions to this?
2: Oh, geez. I mean, I don't want to be that guy that is, uh, you know, like sounding the alarm bell. But I do think that this has the potential to be uh, abused. And I do think that this has the potential to, uh, you know, completely like reorder society. And I think that what Justin was talking about with, you know, this could be the, um, the Trojan horse for, you know, a UBI and, a, you know, a, a, a government where uh, they basically just say, OK, your job now is to sit at home, watch Netflix and collect our checks. And I don't want to live in a country like that. And I think that, that we are getting closer to the precipice of that becoming a reality. And, you know, people will say, well, you know, back in the, you know, when uh, the Industrial Revolution, all the farmers had to go and work in the factories. Well, yeah, that was disruption, but there were ample jobs for them to work in. Or when, you know, the horse and buggy, you know, uh, was replaced by the car. Well, the horse and buggy drivers, they had to adapt. Yeah, they did. And they could adapt. But nowadays, we're getting to the point where people might not even be able to adapt. You know, for the past couple of years, Joe Biden and uh, many in the administration have said, oh, you know, if you worked in uh, the fossil fuel field, go learn how to code. Well, maybe now learning how to code is a dead end, too. So it's like, you know, are we going to have options for people to go and live, you know, sustainable and, uh, you know, lives with dignity? And if we don't have that, because having a job, I think, is much larger than having an income. It's about dignity. It's about having a purpose in life. And that brings so much to it. And if people don't even have that option anymore, you know, in a decade or a couple of decades, I think that we're going to live in a really, you know, dark place. <laughs> Justin and Chris
0: getting a little bit ahead of the conversation and going Sorry towards these macro things. But uh, Jim, just based on some <laughs> of the examples and the stuff that you've seen it do, I, I sent you my AI generated Seinfeld uh, uh, plot outline for an episode. I mean, what, what is your take uh, from from your position?
1: Well, I mean, it is pretty frightening. Um, you know, uh, my best friend in, in college, his father was a English professor uh, at, a, at a different college. And uh, I was an English writing major, and that's what I graduated with. And, and he had a friend who was the CEO of a company, and he had to write pretty much all of his own important memos and press releases and things like that. And he said, if you can write, you can find a job, you know, that, that good writers are so hard to find. Um, the fact that chat GPT is probably going to do better grammar than uh, current crop of humans I <laughs> seem to see coming out of schools these days uh, is, I don't know, I don't know if that's good or bad. You know, for instance, um, chat GPT probably won't think an apostrophe means plural instead of possessive, uh, and will know <laughs> when to use fewer instead of less. So, um, you know, from the position of eliminating some of my most... Annoying pet grammar pet peeves. Maybe I'm all for uh, Chat GPT because it would fix all of those things that drive me a little bit crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I used to think, yeah, if you're if you're a good writer, you should always be able to find work because people need good writing. They need good writers somewhere. And maybe with Chat, I mean, again, this just started. I mean, goodness, six month months ago, ago, nobody knew this. Nobody knew this thing would exist. Who knew we'd even be talking about this? And look how far it's advanced. But as far as like in the future, I mean, yeah, it could turn into a UBI it could turn into people in the chat here. Are like our jobs going to be sitting up uh, watching television and ordering food, um, you know. But, you know, you're, there's still going to be a need for human beings to physically fix things. Right. You know, you're going to need an electrician. You're going to need a plumber. You're going to need a carpenter. You're going to need a mechanic. Um, you know, I like to learn how to fix things around my house on my own just because, you know, it's kind of a hobby and I like to be able to know how things work, you know, know how to hook up a uh, a, a power generator in case the power goes out around here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, learn how to how to do some uh, basic electric wiring, things like that. So ChatGPS won't be able to do that. It might be able to write better sitcoms. It might be able to write a better... Um, actually, they should probably put it to work to write the next Star Wars movie because it'll end up being way better than what uh, <laughs> they ended up with last time.
0: Yeah, you know, it... it, it, it the the amount of information that it can draw from allows it to be extremely nimble with its explanations of things. Like I, I asked it, I put in just like a complex, uh, you know, if there's a train leaving Dallas towards Chicago at six o'clock, going sixty miles an hour, and a train leaving from Chicago to Dallas at uh, 5 o'clock going 40 miles an hour, at what time is it going to, like, cross or something like that? Like, just that English that you would see in a, you know, college-level math exam or something like that. And it's it just, like, not only did it give me the answer, but it broke down how it got the answer. I asked it to uh, a very complex statistics problem. And it generated a Python code or whatever Python program code that explains how you would find the probability of that statistics problem that I gave it. So it could do like incredible things. You could I I took Jim the the essay that I got from Cameron for the for the Heartlander. I put it in Chat GPT and said edit this, and it did. I didn't have to wait, you know, like uh, a couple of hours for for Chris to to have enough time to edit it or whatever and then send but it. But I did page. edit it. Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Chat GPT was slightly better. Uh, and uh-huh. <laughs> but, like but like that's just like one of the examples of jobs that could theoretically be eliminated right now. Yeah, but Chris-
2: but but Donnie, what I think what this is doing is this is uh, you know, it, it, it's quelling people's critical thinking abilities. If you can, I have a question. Do you think that people are are smarter or dumber since the internet was arrived? You know, arrived. I think people uh, are arguably dumber because they are so reliant upon Google to go and look things up for them. They don't engage in critical thinking, and I think this yeah, would why, take that why? to a
0: whole new level. Yeah, why hold the knowledge in your brain when it's so easily accessible when you're, you know, typing? I have a really bad. It's habit not even about of... the
2: knowledge, though. It's about the, you know, the logic and the reasoning, you know, uh, sure. th- that that people are not willing to engage in. I think this actually goes back to what we were talking about earlier. If you don't have a population that can engage in critical thinking and reasoning, they're not going to be able to disentangle the details of a story like the Russia situation because they're just going to be, you know, so like prone to just like, oh, that's what the the mainstream media says. Oh, okay, I'll just take that with, you know, with no grain of salt. So I think that this does have a double-edged sword to it. Yeah, no, I think there's probably five
0: edges to the sword. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so a couple of other things, Justin, uh, you were already talking about some of like the future things. Right now, uh, this technology, uh, at least for the public's perspective, is is solely located in this little chat box feature. But just wait till this tech uh, sort of technology is applied to other other things. Uh, So I've got just like a very, very brief list of of certain industries that could be or jobs that could be impacted by this. One of them is call centers. You know, now uh, uh, instead of calling some some call center that's maybe in some other country to talk to somebody for support when you have some issue with your computer or whatever, it's going to be this. And you don't have to press one for information about X and press two for information about X or, uh, uh, you know, press zero to talk to a real human. You just talk to it like it's a human and it can feed information back to you in a very easily understandable way. Uh, Finance. It has the ability to give advice, maybe manage your account with extremely personalized attention to your specific needs and all of that. Um, Retail. Between assistance and support, recommendations of products, maybe you have to return something. You don't need humans in the equation anymore. You can talk to this. Uh, Justin, you already mentioned contract lawyers. You upload a contract, theoretically, and have it just comb through and explain in plain English what that contract means for you and if it's uh, uh, worthy of, of you signing the bottom line. That's putting a lot of trust in a computer
2: program. Putting a uh, lot just- of trust. Uh, that that's true. But a lot of people don't yeah. I money mean, to hire I mean, contractors. So, 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 I mean, are, are we supposed to not believe that that computer program would not be able to manipulate us into doing things that we would not ordinarily want to do? Well, I, I will get
0: to bias in a second, <laughs> but I just want to mention, I want to mention lawyers, because uh, there was a story that me and Justin were talking about before about an app that would use this sort of technology to act as your lawyer. It would basically be a phone <laughs> app that would listen to the judge and anyone else in the courtroom. It would take that information in, synthesize a response, feed it into your ear, and then you can say that and represent yourself. You know, the AI would actually it's in be like it, a but
3: traffic but, court.
0: But yes, but that is happening right now. This isn't some like theoretical thing in the future. This is happening right now. So yeah, like forget about your you know, your fast food jobs and your easily replaceable jobs or whatever. This is coming for everyone's job.
3: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and I and I think and I think that it is. And it does raise serious questions about well, if I don't need to if if I can put something into AI and it will spit out a perfectly written you know, news article or a perfectly uh, written essay on XYZ topic, then do people need to know how to do that? I mean, I don't know. Is that really necessary? There used to be a time when, you know, people needed to kind of, people had to know long division, at least a little bit, because there would be situations in life where you would have to physically sit down and, and figure out something using long division. Why do I need to do that now? I don't. I don't ever manually do long division. The last time I did that was probably the fifth grade. Like there's no reason for it. You just put it into a computer and it tells you the answer. So people are losing these skills. A lot of people today don't know how to write cursive because what's the point? So I I think that there is going to be that, but on steroids because yeah, now I don't even need to know how to write at all. (laughs) Why why am I writing? All I need to do is write some, put something in the, put a prompt into the computer and it's going to, put an essay out for me so yeah how is this going to change the way we think the way we act Uh, when uh, donnie you mentioned earlier your your wife having a class where students could be posting things that they didn't necessarily write as part of an assignment on a discussion board or something like that online how will we know just in regular conversation that the things that we're saying to each other how much of that is coming from other people you and i could be texting but for all I know, you could be making hmm. some really insightful point that's just being produced by AI and you're just pasting it <laughs> into the text chain. Damn, I don't know it, the next ostrich. time the next time I have an anniversary and I go into and I ask it to make a love poem about me and my wife. Uh, how does my wife know that I'm the one that wrote that? poem? I mean, wait, wait. sorry, under, I got to start
0: taking notes. Hang on. This is all it good stuff.
3: undermines. <laughs> it not only uh, calls into que- it, I guess that's my point. we don't even necessarily have to use it. It calls into question everything because behind the scenes, you're going to be wondering all the time, is this really a a person that did this or is this a machine? And then the flip side to that too, is the, the AI is not, we're not at a point with AI technology where AI is actually producing these things on its own. It's not as though it knows these things intuitively or it's actually what it's doing is it's it's synthesizing existing information that humans have compiled and it's rewriting it or repurposing it or representing it right yeah so what happens when we get to the point where the where ai is the one writing all the news stories and then when we ask it a question it's now synthesizing all the news stories it has written and then producing an answer based on its own news stories are we now just getting answers that AI is producing on its own? I, you, you can see how the more you think about it, the crazier this stuff gets and the more difficult it becomes for us in the world we're living in now to wrap our minds around what life is going to be like in, in the near term. But what is important is that we have these conversations, because if we're not even thinking about it or talking about it, uh, it's it's going to become a massive problem and by the time we want need to have the conversation, we're it's going to be too late, and most of these decisions are already going to be made. And that's really, I think, the biggest yeah. takeaway of all of it is: let's it just is, at they, least have the conversation. They just it, they it,
0: just announced that uh, that uh, this Chat GPT has more daily active users uh, within the first forty days than Instagram. So this is catching on like
2: wildfire, folks. Yeah, Donny. But Justin brought up a really good point because you know all that AI can do in its current form is take what's already you know in existence ideas and writings and you know mathematical equations and you know synthesize them and to you know spit out you know w- what it can. It can't be creative though. It can't create a new theory. It can't create a new, uh, you know, in in its current form. But I but I I worry that once it becomes you know if you want to call it self aware, then it could. And if then, then we are, then are we at the mercy of the, the AI? Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, it can be super
0: creative in, in certain ways. Like I asked it, like I said, to, to make a Seinfeld episode. I made it to, to outline what a, what a show would look like based on Ewoks. But, but but that, but that's only
2: taking it because, because it's taking all the Seinfeld ex- uh, episodes that already exist, but could you, could you cr- make it create uh, a Seinfeld before Seinfeld existed? Of course not. I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't put it
0: past it. But I will say, because you, you touched on this point a little bit, and Justin touched on it a little bit too. Uh, Jim blowing his nose without muting himself. Great. Uh, so so uh, another thing that I wanted to talk about is the inherent bias of all of these things. So some of it I, I, is inherent, and that's based on the idea that um, you know it only extracts information and and facts and whatever from what it considers credible sources and surely you know that's programmed into it to you know rank the new york times higher than you know some conservative leaning thing so if you ask it about climate change you're probably going to get like the official story the official narrative when it comes to climate change but there's other stuff that's like very very much programmed into this uh it won't do certain things uh i've seen certain examples of this where it's like you know make a joke about women and it's like, no, I can't do that. It would be inappropriate. You know, I don't want to be controversial. And I was like, OK, fine. Make a joke about men. And I was like, oh, yeah, men are stupid. You know, like it's, it's totally fine with doing that. It's like every I, sitcom on TV. Yeah, I've seen I've seen it do like uh, write a poem about uh, Joe Biden's best qualities. Boom. There's 15 paragraphs about Joe Biden being awesome. Write a poem highlighting Trump's best qualities. And like it didn't do it um and and then justin and i were playing around with this and we were asking it to write stuff like bashing socialism just to see what would come up and it was like ah, no no we don't want to like drag any ideology through the mud or anything so surely that's not the ai that's coming to these conclusions that was programmed into this and the biggest problem with this is that if people go into and start using this uh this program this technology and think that it is the answer and don't realize that it is already latent with human-imposed uh, restrictions and biases, then they might think that they're just getting the straight truth. Like even more so than if they just read an article from the New York Times or something like that. So that is also a huge concern with all of this technology. Uh, Jim, you want to comment on any of the things we've talked about so far?
1: Well, yeah, and I apologize for that uh, gross audio interlude. I forgot to—I <laughs> you know, got rid of my gangs. So I'm dealing with COVID. Give me a break. Give me a break. Uh, <laughs> But, yeah, uh, something occurred to me when Chris was talking about or Chris or Justin was talking about, you know, when we had horse and buggies and then, you know, things things advance and we don't need that anymore. We have automobiles and all that stuff. Um, you know, then you guys were talking about using ChatGPT instead of an attorney. Um, I think a couple things are going to happen. One is that you're going to see protectionist moves. Um, in this regard in, in which um, maybe they'll pass a law where it says your contract is not valid unless it is worked worked on by a certified attorney with the you know physical signature um, notarized and things like that so don't don't underestimate the ability of uh, you know legislators most of whom are lawyers especially to protect the legal profession from the, the use of chat GPT I mean you're allowed to if you're a a um, you know, they call jailhouse attorneys if you're if you're in jail uh, and you can get your hands on uh, the Internet. You can do a chat. You could probably appeal your conviction using Chat GPT. <laughs> can you imagine that uh, and see how that would go in our legal system? Because they probably they might get better uh, representation, frankly, from Chat GPT than your average public defender. Um, that's just something that occurred to me now. And that seems kind of weird. Uh, but, you know, from an economic sense, though, there is there is something. To be said for this, I don't want to defend it, but I just want to say, um, you know, in a capitalist free market economy, what you are striving for and what freedom and free markets give you is more efficiencies in the market. Um, I've learned how to bake bread, for instance, because I just thought it would be fun to know how to bake bread from scratch. I don't need to; I can go to a grocery store or a bakery if I want specialty bread and have that made for me. You know, the the division of labor, the specialization of labor is one of the hallmarks of a, of a vibrant free market economy. And the creation of Chat GPT, you can see it in a sense as being that on steroids now, or that in code now. Um, so is it so bad that you wouldn't have to write, um, you wouldn't really have to know how to write anymore? Like you said, people don't really know how to read cursive. I'm, it's funny, Nate, who used to be on this podcast more, and I'll he'll, he'll be, he'll be on it in the future, works in development department, he'll come into my office and hand me a handwritten note by one of our uh, supporters and say, I don't know what this says, man, because <laughs> he can't read cursive. And so I have to <laughs> interpret it for him. But frankly, he doesn't know it because he doesn't really need to know it. The only people that write note, hand notes in cursive, um, frankly, are people from generations far older than him. So is it so bad? Uh, if chat gpt and other and other um artificial intelligent developments create a um uh a society in which we don't need to know these things yeah uh, so isn't, I got that one... good, isn't that good in a lot of ways
0: yeah I, I i well you know i i don't want to come off as, as you know like the the stereotypical like oh technology is bad and we need to get rid of it burn it all down or whatever to protect our jobs that type of thing I just want to, like, talk about this and the potential ramifications so that we're not blindsided by this when those implications actually come to be reality. So that's my whole reasoning to to have this as our main topic. But there's one other facet that I want to bring up before I get to Chris. No, no, no. Don't put the music on. We still have time. Chris and Justin's final takes on all of this. And that is, this, that is the idea that Google uh, is kind of worried about this. So this is a kind of... Pr- Proof that this isn't some flash in the pan fad thing that's just going to go away, you know, like the like the last fad that, you know, came and went or anything like that. Like this is this is going to leave a mark. So I've got this article from The New York Times that is titled The New Chatbot is a quote code red for Google's search business. So apparently executives at Google after the release of ChatGPT released a code red. Uh, In response to this, because they're worried that chat GPT is going to disrupt the dominance that Google has over uh, that they've had over decades uh, for essentially the gateway to the Internet. So they've had a series of meetings, high level meetings at Google, according to this New York Times article. Where they're trying to determine their own artificial intelligence strategy to respond to the threat of chat GPT. What if people, instead of uh, when they're searching for information online, what if instead of going to Google, they just keep asking this for information because it gives really uh, concise explanations of stuff. You know, if I if I ask for you know what were the movies that Jean Claude Van Damme was in in 1990s. Oh, then a Wikipedia comes up. I have to click on that and go to the filmography and then scroll down to the years in question and then I can see the answer. Whereas I could just type it into chat GPT and it will tell me. So they're freaking out that this is going to disrupt their dominance. So apparently they're having a series of of strategies to determine how to have their own Uh, um, AI, which is called DeepMind, incorporated into their different various products and all of that. The Red Alert, like I said, supposedly they're having a conference in May that's going to reveal all the different projects and practical applications of their artificial intelligence that they've been working on. So this has got Google spooked. Like, this is so big that it's got Google spooked. But, uh, Justin, we only have a couple of minutes, so any final takes on any facet of this conversation that we've had so far?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that the biggest takeaway is that there needs to be more of a conversation about this so that we have an idea of what's going because there are going to be very extreme reaction to this one way or another people who want to go full bore into it people who want to burn it all to the ground that's going to become normalized uh, and it's going to start filtering into politics once people start talking about it in the public, because that's how it works. Right. Sure. And so how are we going to deal with that? How are we going to address these issues? What should be our position? Um, not just as people who believe in individual liberty, but just in general, I mean, as human beings, I mean, what is the meaning of human life? What is valuable for human beings? What what do we want our, our world to look like in 50 years? These are things that we need to start talking about. And uh, a lot of other big questions that are big by the standards of, say, 10, 15, 20 years ago, they need to start taking a back seat to some of these other things that are, I think, much more important and going to become a bigger part of the conversation. And if we don't start talking about it now and start building these systems from the ground up so that they have our values embedded in them, then they're going to have the values of Klaus Schwab and the world economic forum built in them instead. And so that's the, or, or AI is just going to create its own set of values and embed its own technology with those created values. And so we have to start thinking about that stuff and talking about it now or else it's going to be too late by the time we realize it's like a crisis for society
0: and the economy. Chris, any final statements on this topic?
2: I think Justin, you know, put that really well, and I also just think that we need to uh, keep in mind that, you know, when we look at the long, you know, breadth of human history, you know, technology has has moved in a very methodical and slow fashion. But in the past, you know, a few decades with the advent of the internet and you know all these like this digital revolution that we're undergoing, technology is moving at a monumental pace. And I war- I just worry if it's going if some human beings cannot keep up with it, and if it's if it's moving so fast that it is uh going into you know a, a place where we are not going to be able to uh, handle it. Jim, final statements for the episode before we sign off.
1: No, I'm uh I'm afraid
0: of of uh, AI. <laughs> I, I, I for I for <laughs> one welcome. Our, I for one welcome our new AI overlords. Please spare me. Uh, All right. That's going to do it. We're already uh, along on this podcast. I want to thank you for all all of you for joining us for this episode of the In The Think Podcast. Join us every week for a new episode. Like I said at the beginning, all those audio-only listeners that are catching this on a Friday or later, you can catch our show a day earlier on Thursdays at noon central time where we are live streaming on Facebook and rumble and twitter and youtube you can join the conversation throw your comments and questions in the stream we will show your comment on the screen maybe we'll address your questions on the fly you could also follow us on twitter at in the Tank pod you can send us your comments and suggestions to the show by emailing us at in the Tank at gmail.com jim Lakely, where can the fine people find you
1: at jay Lakely on twitter at heartland inst on twitter and always visit heartland.org fantastic justin
0: haskin same question
3: they can't find me anywhere because I'm burning all the technology down as soon as the show ends. <laughs> yeah, it's all find over. them in
0: find them in a bunker in the western portion of the United States. Chris Talgo, what do you have to pitch today?
2: Well, find me a ChatGPT. Just kidding. Uh, go to somethingsocialism. Uh, Fantastic. We're we're humans. Write the article. Humans actually write articles still. <laughs> yeah. For now, for now, we'll see
0: if that changes. All right. Thank you all for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week.